Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Jason Coleman, and you are listening to Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. And welcome to another episode of Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. I am your one-man book club, Jason Coleman. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. Um, as you guys can see, I, I hope you are proud of me. I've been I've been very diligent about making sure that you're getting your podcasts out uh, twice a month, so bi-monthly. I was having a hard time for a while uh, sticking to a schedule But it turns out during a pandemic when there's not really a whole lot else going on and you're socially distancing and staying indoors all the time, I all of a sudden have time to actually keep up with my podcast schedule. So there it is. Even still, I am proud of myself for being able to stick to this regular schedule. It is challenging. I guess all the books I've read about uh, improving your habits and keeping yourself on um, a productive timeline. Maybe they actually are starting to make a difference, hopefully. Well, that and the pandemic. Okay, uh, enough of that. Let's get to some books. So uh, today we are going to be talking about the book Everything is Fucked by Mark Mannion, a book about hope. I, I'm sorry, I, I try not to swear is, uh, anymore that I have to on this podcast, but that is the book's title. So I'm, I'm sorry, not really sure what else to do. So this is actually the the second book that I read by Mark Mannion. Um, I guess it's a bit of a follow-up to his other book, which was very popular, called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. (laughs) Um, And I think this book is kind of in the same spirit as that book was. I I wouldn't necessarily say that that it's a book with any sort of clear uh, thesis or... Um, platform or some sort of direct message uh, that a lot of the books that I review tend to have. This is kind of just, I'm not really sure how to categorize it actually. I guess it's more of a book that just reflects on the human experience. And I I think what what the author was trying to, to accomplish is he wanted people to, to understand the, the thoughts and feelings that they have about different issues, why they feel this way, why they obsess about certain things, and maybe just kind of recategorizing, reprioritizing this. It, it actually kind of sounds like a form of stoicism, and he does talk about stoicism a bit in the book as well. So I, that really appealed to me because I do consider myself to be uh, an amateur stoicist, uh, if you will. So, uh, let's go ahead and get into the book. Like I said, this is, I, he kind of, he definitely jumps around from topic to topic, so it's it's a little difficult to, um, to, to, un, to take his book, like, as an argument the same way you might as, as like, an essay or, or, or you know, maybe, like a, like, a thinking fast and slow or something by Daniel Kahneman where he's talking about, uh, the different aspect, or you know, maybe influenced by Robert Cialdini, where there, there's a different, diff- definite message about you know how people interact and what you can do to improve this or improve that. It's it's really just not about that. It's just much more of a reflective overview of the human experience. But if I were to say that the book did have one 
message that seemed to be thematic throughout the book. It's this whole concept that the human mind is of two brains, okay? You're, you, and this is not going to be news to anybody that, you, you know, uh, Aristotle talked about this and, and Plato talked about this, that your, your brain has, has two halves in the sense that uh, half your brain is, is your thinking brain and half your brain is your feeling brain. I, I guess the neurologist would say um, it's your, you know, it's your amygdala and your hippocampus, you know, uh, I guess. And I think what we like to think of is that your your thinking brain and your feeling brain are both both have equal say and equal weight um, in your decision making. That you know you have to weigh the emotional impact and you have to weigh the logical impact, and and that's how the rational person comes to a decision. Now I knew that that is not the case. Uh, I don't know how many people knew that because. One of my favorite books is The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt, and the author also cites the book uh, in, you know, in, in Everything is Fucked as well. And basically what he says is that your emotional brain is probably about 90% of your brain. We're basically emotional creatures, and all the thinking brain really does is try to direct the emotional energy uh, into the log- into logical actions that the person might want to accomplish. Um, I'm also familiar with this because I'm also an avid uh, reader of books about storytelling and writing and screenwriting. Not that I really have any interest in creating stories for myself, but that's actually what I studied in college was story design. So I've always been a bit interested in, in what makes a story meaningful or good. And you know, most of the writers who I really respect in that field, they they pretty much say the same thing, that you don't really necessarily need strong plot lines. You, you really just need to have strong emotions in your characters. Uh, one of my favorite movies, of course, uh, it, you know, um, Inside Out, but the, the Pixar film, is exactly, it's, it's, it's just basically emotions that have become anthropomorphized into people, and they go on an adventure. And so... Um, your emotional brain definitely is what constitutes the majority of of our decisions, and if if I think Jonathan Haidt had probably the best, um, he probably had the best I would say analysis of this, and what he said was that picture an elephant and somebody riding the elephant, and the elephant rider most of the time has control over the elephant. He can direct the elephant, get the elephant to do what he wants the elephant to do, as long as the elephant doesn't lose its control. Once the elephant becomes highly uh, agitated or uh, emotionally aggressive or whatever the case is, they will immediately throw the rider off and completely take control of the situation. So that's where we are with our emotions. And I, I always ask my students this too when I say, so let me ask you guys, and I normally do this when we go over our narrative unit and storytelling. I say, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you were just having a normal, regular day? Everything was fine, nothing out of the ordinary. And then somebody did or said something. And in about two seconds, you went from completely normal to a flaming, raging maniac, okay? Screaming and yelling and flailing your arms all over the place, all right? And it's funny, too, because I look at the classroom and and impishly, like, just about every student (laughs) will raise their hands because because they know 
that their emotions, it doesn't necessarily seem logical or rational, control so much of their, their decision making. And he said it's, it's important to understand this because we might logically know that eating that extra piece of cake is not healthy. We shouldn't do it. We might know that watching six straight hours of, I don't know, Real Housewives, uh, you know, or something like that is, is not really going to, you know, make us feel any more productive, but we still do it anyway because our, <laughs> because our brain is just obsessed basically with pleasure. Uh, it can't stop itself. It needs it. it it's, it's addicted. It's, it's you know, it, when we talk about like sugar and video games and um, very, you know, my personal favorite, salty, fatty, preferably fried foods, um, it, it, it sends our pleasure center into the stratosphere. And unfortunately, because we live in a, a you know, I, I know I talk about this in my podcast of digital minimalism, but we, we live in a society where we're able to get these products that will immediately start hitting that pleasure center of our brain very quickly with really minimal amount of commitment. I was on a, I was on my, my wife and I did a kind of a power walk this morning and we were talking about that and, and we were saying that, um, one of the amazing things about social media is they give people the sense of accomplishment with very, very minimal amounts of, of work being necessary. And we were saying that, you know, you can, you can protest by hitting the like button on Facebook. You can uh, make a comment on a YouTube video and, and all of a sudden you kind of feel like, you know, you, it, it's tapping into that human need to be productive and compassionate and empathetic. But at the same time, your brain, your emotional brain saying, oh my gosh, that's a lot of work. I'm not really sure I want to do all that. Hey, you know, I can just, you know, load up this app, you know, hit your, you know, hit the screen a few times and, and boom, it takes care of, it, it takes care of all of that. And the author talks about this quote by uh, Peter Thiel, who said that people wanted the flying car and what they got was Twitter. And I think what he means is that there just wasn't really a whole lot of incentive to, there wasn't really a whole lot of incentive for people to create something that was going to need a, a huge, massive investment by the government, and it was going to take a lot of sacrifice by people, and there would be a whole adjustment of our economy. I mean, it's it's just too difficult, you know? It's much, so much easier to, to tap into the emotional brain's uh, wants. And so it, it, it's, it's similar, okay, so... One of the people that I, I found fascinating in, uh, in the book is this guy um, named Bernays, and I'd never heard of him before, but apparently in the marketing world, this guy is a legend, and he apparently was, believe this or not, he was an American, but he was, he was Sigmund Freud's nephew, and apparently he was, he was deeply inspired by Sigmund Freud, and uh, you know, S Sigmund Freud talked a lot about the ego and, and feelings and inadequacy. And he said that marketing could be so much more effective if you tap into people's insecurities and you give them products, not necessarily that will help them, but it'll help them feel better about themselves. So what the author was saying that in the past, marketing had always been about how do you create the most uh, efficient product? And if you were going to use marketing, you had to make a case as to why people should buy your product 
in terms of how good the product was. Like, so for example, you know, buy Coca-Cola because we have the best tasting drink according to several taste tests. Buy Goodyear tires because according to all of these studies, Goodyear tires last the longest. But but what Bernays said is that you don't really you don't really need to do all that. What you really need to do is you need to figure out a way where people um, can visualize themselves with a product and improving their lives emotionally because of the product. So I, I think a good example of this is apparently Bernays was credited with really um, really starting the whole revolution of women getting women to smoke cigarettes. And up until this time, up until uh, before uh, Bernays came around, uh, women just didn't really smoke because it was seen as a, a very unfeminine thing to do. It wasn't very ladylike for women to smoke. But so what he did was, apparently uh, there was a big thing in the 30s and the 40s with parades. Like uh, going to parades were big things. Everybody would go to a parade. Uh, and what he did was he hired some photographers to show women, uh, you know, in the parades, actually, as soon as the parade was over, they they began like lighting up cigarettes for themselves and then chatting and having a good time. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to show women as independent creatures. Maybe women were feeling oppressed in the workforce. They felt like they were trapped in, you know, in the home life and taking care of, you know, children and just didn't really feel a lot of independence. And so what they tried to do is they tried to tap into this whole idea that you can create autonomy and independence for yourself through smoking. You know, it was absolutely ingenious. And it, you know, it, it completely got women to start smoking. It became socially acceptable. Uh, a more recent example is when the iPad first came out and you can do this yourself. If you watch some, if you go on YouTube and you watch some early commercials of, um, uh, of YouTube, uh, promoting, I mean, of commercials about the iPad, excuse me, you'll see that the iPad didn't really, it didn't really market itself very much about, you know, the, the technical specifications or um, how quickly the loading screens or anything like that. What you saw is you saw people laying around on the beach with the iPad. You saw kids in school uh, sitting next to each other, laughing and giggling and sharing things together on their iPad. You saw people calling each other and having like a video conversation with the iPad. And so what they were saying is that you're not buying a technology product that's, you know, uh, that will be useful for improving your productivity or anything like that. This is going to help enhance your life. It'll give your life a more enjoyable, pleasurable experience. And so he he was saying that the the thing about the thing about this is a lot of this has to do with the modern society that that we lived in. Um, in our Paleolithic past, I mean, people's needs uh, were going to be fairly basic. Okay, I mean, you what I would consider to be basic. You needed food and shelter. Uh, you needed safety. Uh, you had to have companionship. You you would need uh, opportunities to uh, spend time with friends and loved ones, but Beyond that, I mean, they probably would have saw uh, things like, you know, obsessing about your emotional well-being that that would have been unnecessary. And he said, really, what, what the game changer was, was the agricultural revolution. 
because he says with the agricultural revolution, once people had all the food that they needed, they they didn't necessarily have to obsess about uh, making sure that they you know that they found the next kill or that they they gathered enough roots and berries. They they could begin to focus on other things, and if they were unhappy with certain aspects of their life. Emotionally, that's what began to take precedent, and it's just been completely downhill from there. Uh, speaking as an educator, I can remember when I got into teaching, maybe to, you know, close to 20 years ago, the big thing was how do we improve academic performance through instructional technique? Um, at least in the last few places I've taught, that has went by the wayside. Now, the new thing is, the, the new hot thing in education is, how do we improve performance by improving a child's social and emotional well-being? That if the child is feeling better about themselves, they'll do better academically. And I, I don't necessarily think that there's ne- there's necessarily something wrong with that or that it's, it's wrong to think that way, but I, I do think it's worth noting that these are modern inventions. These sort of problems just wouldn't have, I mean, you might have heard the, the saying, you know, first, you know, first world problems. It, it reminds me of uh, Kanye West when he was, I saw him doing an interview with this radio station called Charlemagne the God, who's gotten, you know, very popular with his recent interview with Joe Biden. I, I'm not going to go into that. That'll just segue us a little too much, but I, I do encourage you to go look it up. But I remember there was a part, and this is, we're going back a few years ago, where Kanye was talking about how the textile industry were trying to, of, of Adidas, the, the clothing manufacturer, were, 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 were giving him like a bad deal. So he decided to create his own, you know, product line instead and directly market it to people. And, you know, he wasn't going to be taken advantage of like that. And I think at one point that the, the DJ said to him, he said, you know, aren't these just rich people problems? I mean, what, what does this have to do with like the everyday person and trying to get through their daily struggles? And, and I guess that's what this author is, is talking about, that if you want to focus on, if you want to focus on global warming or you want to focus on, on hunger or, you know, food shortages around the world, or if you want to focus on, um, you know, all the, the various you know, problems of our economy, our environment, or any of those things, you can. You can. And I, I don't even think the author is saying that we shouldn't be worried about those things. But I think there's a difference between being worried about the general health of society and being worried that the way society is structured right now is making you emotionally feel bad about something. And I think that's why people will have these raging debates with each other over over Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that because I don't I don't think they have very much community interaction. I, I don't think that they have very much um, social emotional well being in their personal lives. And so they they go into these environments looking for you know companionship, looking for community, looking for these things, and then when when they don't get it there's really nothing to hold them back there's no social contract to stop people from from just unleashing exactly what they're thinking and feeling it it reminds me of the story by plato called the ring of gyges and in the ring of gyges what the story is about 
is um, this man who, and I think uh, the, this guy named Glaucon in Plato, they were having this argument about whether people are inherently good or inherently evil. And what Glaucon was saying was that, and he, he, he talks about this story of the ring of Gyges, is he was saying that if you give people this op, this ring, you know, something similar to what, I guess, like Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings, this ring that would turn you invisible. And and apparently when this guy turns invisible, he starts doing really awful things. He starts robbing and killing and victimizing and brutalizing. And, and he was saying that, you know, if you were to really give people what they want, we would be living in a completely chaotic society. Uh, the, the metaphor that the author uses, I thought is hysterical, is he said that if you said, okay, what do you really want? He said, what, what's going to happen is you're going to turn into this chimpanzee who's been given a bottle of tequila, who quickly downs the bottle of tequila and then proceeds to masturbate inside the bottle right afterwards. That, that no, we don't, we don't really want what we think we want. Maybe that's patronizing, but the reality is, is that we need people to keep, to keep tabs on us. We, we need to understand that, that our life is very temporal. It's, it's, it doesn't last forever. And, and we have to do with our experience what's going to bring us fulfillment. That's not necessarily the same thing as, as enjoyment. And I know this can spin off into a whole nother category. And I, I think that's why he talks about this whole concept of hope in that, okay, I hope that we will, that will improve society. I hope that we will do something about our environment, environmental destruction. I, I hope that we'll do something about overpopulation. But a lot of times what we do to relieve our own guilt is we we find articles and futurists and we think that technology is just going to somehow, they're going to invent some something new, some magical product that's going to save us. And there's, there's really no evidence for that. I, me- I remember, I think I've talked about this in a few podcasts, that I get into arguments with my friends sometimes because they, I, I have a bunch of friends who are these futurists who thinks that, you know, we're going to desalinate water and find mineral, rare minerals on, on other planets that we're going to be able to ship into it. So like we're, we, we, you know, as soon as we work out some minor logistical issues, well, you know, we're, we're going to, we're not going to have all of these environmental problems. And this is ridiculous. <laughs> and what I tell them is, you think we have made so much more progress than we've really made. There's a great TED talk about this where when you think about what's been invented in the last, say, 75 years, there's nothing that compares to, to, to anything since then. When you talk about the automobile, indoor plumbing, um, stored electricity, okay, we don't have, we've, we have not invented anything that rivals that. I mean, yeah, we have the computer. It's a great way for looking up videos and, and I, I guess paying, you know, my bills remotely. And maybe there are, of course, there are some people who use the internet in very complex and engaging ways, but the vast majority just use it to pleasure ourselves, okay? Through social media, through shopping, through, through doing it. Very passive, through passive ways. So, again, I mean, I, I, I'd really love to say that this, you know, I'd love to direct you about what the author's thesis is and... Uh, whether I agree or disagree, but it's just really not that kind of a book. So if nothing else, I think this is a great book for for understanding your emotional brain, for for a jump off point for great conversations with other people, 
Um, but like I said, it, it doesn't really have a direct message. It's more just a collection of thoughts and essays. But sometimes I wonder if that's what my podcast is too. And I just use people's books as a jump off point for, for my own thought processes. Okay. All right. Let me go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, again, as always, thank you for making it to the end of the, uh, the podcast. I'm always so flattered that anybody, uh, takes the time to listen and, uh, that they value what it is that I have to say. And I hope I brought a little bit more enjoyment and perspective on your way to work or wherever it is that you're, you're listening to my podcast. If you feel like this podcast has given you some value, please consider writing me a review on iTunes at, it, or, or giving me a like on Stitcher or whatever platform you're listening on just because it, it spreads the algorithm and it it helps uh, it helps me feel better feeds my ego I guess if you want to get down and dirty to to know that more people are are enjoying the performance okay all right well that is all for now I don't know what I'm going to be reading next but I will be back in a couple of weeks with your new book and until then happy reading <laughs>